So Daniel chapter 7, we're beginning at verse 9. Uh, we're halfway through Daniel's vision. He's seen these terrible and scary-looking beasts. Um, and uh, one of them, the most recent one, has got this great horn. And these kind of represent the worldly rulers that threaten God's people. But let's read from verse 9. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head was like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their authority to rule was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Our second reading is from Matthew 28, where we're going to hear a bit more about that son of man and his kingdom. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robe was white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the woman, women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So, departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then, Jesus met them and said, good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. 
and this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's great to be with you here this evening. And uh, can I say, we have a great partnership with Church by the Bridge now, stretching over a, a number of years. Uh, I believe I'm your, or we are your missionary family as well. We're particularly connected to this service, if you weren't aware of that. And um, one of the great things you guys do is you have someone who contacts us now and again, uh, who's your sort of representative to find out what's going on. That's Rosie. So if you ever want to know what's going on, um, or you haven't heard, Ethel Rosie, and hopefully she'll be able to uh, fill you in. How about I pray as we start? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray tonight that we might be encouraged, uh, that we might be challenged. Uh, Father, that your spirit might help us to not just listen to your word, but to understand it. And to think about your message to each one of us in our lives and uh, where you'd have us go and what you'd have us do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1811, a guy called John Hasseltine received a letter from a, a young American named Adoniram Judson. And Adoniram was convicted to go as a, as a pioneer missionary to Burma. And his letter was asking permission to marry this guy, John's daughter, Anne, uh, who was all known to everyone as Nancy. And this is what Adoniram wrote in his letter. I've now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to the departure and her subjection to the hardship and suffering of a missionary life whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of he who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her saviour from the heathen say through her means from eternal woe and despair? Well, I don't know, man, is that sort of letter you'd be happy to write to your future, hopefully future father-in-law? Well, John Hasseltine, he actually gave his daughter the freedom to make up her own mind. And Adoniram and Nancy married and ended up sailing for the mission field in 1812. Nancy and both of her children died in Burma. In fact, Adoniram lost a second wife and two more children in Burma 
as he dedicated himself for over 40 years, preaching the good news of salvation in Jesus and translating the Bible into Burmese. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, I find stories like these very confronting. Here are Christians willing to give up their security and their comfort for the sake of the gospel. But Ananiah and Nancy, they do go to Burma with great hope, don't they? They're realistic enough to know there'll be testing and suffering and hardship. But they go for the sake of their Saviour and Lord Jesus. They go because they understand without Jesus, people are destined to destruction in eternity. Adoniram and Nancy go because they look forward to the eternal comfort and security of life with Jesus forever. But still, we, we hear the story about people like this and we think, that could never be me. That could never be me. But don't we say, serve the same Lord Jesus? You know, they they're not serving some other God, asking more of them, in a sense, than he's asking of us. We too need to be willing to give up our security and comfort for the sake of promoting Jesus to the world. Well, this evening, we're going to have a look at Jesus' call for us as individuals, Jesus' call for the church. And Jesus' call is a call for all of us to be engaged in discipleship and in mission. A call to bring the hope of the gospel to people who are perishing. A call to lift our eyes from the disappointment of this world to the glory of eternal life. And a call to forsake our comfort and security to tell people about Jesus so they might be rescued from an eternity without God. So it'd be great if you've got uh, the end of Matthew's Gospel there in front of you, page 918, as we look at Jesus' final call to his disciples. Uh, I've been involved in ministry with youth uh, for a long time now, over 25 years in fact. And the one thing that keeps me going more than anything else uh, is actually the joy of seeing young people just keeping going in their faith. Um, you know, seeing them grow in their faith, seeing them perhaps in another context, in another church, still serving, following Jesus, uh, being involved in their local church, sticking at it. Uh, day by day, serving Jesus, having Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And for the last few years, I've taken a group of around 10 youth from Darwin um, down here to Katoomba for the Kick Youth Convention in April. And uh, this year, two different young people came up to me and said hello. I've got to admit that although I recognised the faces, I had no idea who they were when they came up to me. But the first guy uh, was a guy, Chris Pullen. And Chris and his brother Jeffrey were part of the youth program at, uh, at the church at Eastwood, where I was before we went up to Darwin. It was great to, to see Chris, to hear what he was doing. He's now part of the Youth Works Year 13 program, uh, so that sort of gap year after school, uh, learning about ministry and serving in, um, at St Philip's Eastwood. And uh, he, there he was at Kick as a helper, I don't know, waving his stick in the car park or something like that. But it was great to see him still going, really keen, learning about ministry, how, thinking about how he can serve Jesus in the future. And the second person I probably hadn't seen since she was a, a little child, actually, um, at St Philip's, and that was a girl called Michaela. And Michaela was there at Kick as a youth leader. So there she was with a you know, bunch of youth trailing behind her as uh, they went into the, the conference centre 
and uh, it was great to see her, to hear about her parents uh, that we'd known was a good friend of Jodie's when we were at Eastwood. How exciting to see them as disciples of Christ. And the wonderful thing is, when we hear stories like these, um, we need to know that, that we're all part of these stories. Now, obviously, you're not part of their particular stories, but you'll have young people here at this church, and, and we're all part of their stories. It wasn't just because of stuff I'd said and done that Chris and Michaela are now going on in their faith in Christ. Of course not. Lots of people are involved. I had a part to play, but so did lots of other people. We're all involved in that disciple-making, that discipleship. We're all called to follow Jesus. We're all called to grow in Him. We're all called to help each other in that task as we do it. And discipleship is at the centre of Jesus' ministry. Uh, what Jesus' ministry was, what Jesus' ministry is. And it's at the centre of the call to His disciples here at the end of His Gospel. Jesus' teaching ministry was a call to follow Him, to be a disciple. We know Jesus chose 12 who He had trained and lived with for three years. In Matthew 10, these 12 were sent out in Jesus' name to do the ministry that Jesus had been doing, uh, teaching, healing, calling people into God's kingdom. But now here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the apprenticeship is over and Jesus commissions these 11 now because Judas has gone, but he now commissions them to become disciple makers. Jesus' command to them in verse 19, if you have a look there, is to become disciple makers. They're to make disciples of all nations. And they're to do it, we're told, with the authority of God himself. Jesus' authority is all authority given to him from God in heaven and on earth. Now, leading up to this point in Matthew chapters 27 and 28, we know that Jesus has been crucified, put in a tomb, secured and guarded by the Romans, but on the third day after his death, the women come to the tomb, find it empty, except for an angel messenger announcing Jesus raised from the dead. Women, they see Jesus, they worship him, before going to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive and that they must go to Galilee to meet him. Meanwhile, we heard in our reading that the guards who'd been guarding the tomb um, were told they were shaking, becoming like dead men before uh, the angel. They go and they tell the chief priest everything that's happened. And the priests, we know, or were told, bribed the guards to say the disciples stole Jesus' body. Uh, there's this huge cover-up. But it's against that background, you see, that the disciples go to Galilee to meet Jesus on a mountain. You know, there's sort of political intrigue. Uh, yes, they know Jesus is risen, but they're not sure what's going to happen next. Um, there's these stories going around to say it's the disciples uh, who've stolen the body. Jesus isn't really alive. The women have come and said, look, Jesus told us you've got to go to Galilee to meet him. And that's what happens. They go to Galilee to meet Jesus on a mountain. Now we know right throughout Matthew's Gospel, there's key moments with Jesus on a mountain. Uh, if you think right back early in Jesus, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, what does Satan do? Well, he tempts Jesus, doesn't he? On a mountaintop, Jesus 
teaches his fame. Uh, Jesus is there and Satan says, look out and I'll give you authority over all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus says, no, I'm going to trust God. Later on, Jesus teaches his famous Sermon on the Mount about what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like from a mountaintop. Then there's the transfiguration where Jesus is seen his heavenly glory again on top of a mountain. And now the 11 remaining disciples meet Jesus again on the mountain in Galilee. In verse 6, uh, yeah, in verse 16 here. They come to him and we're told they worship him. Jesus is worshipped as God himself. But note in verse 17 that some doubt it. What's going on there? Jesus is risen, there they are on the mount, they've done what they said, they've come. But they doubted. Well, look what Jesus does. Some doubted, verse 18, then Jesus came near and speaks to them. To allay their doubt, to allay their fear, to send those that he's made disciples out into the world as his disciple makers. Jesus comes with all authority. And he comes near to them and speaks to them. And Jesus sends them. He sends them because he's been given authority to do that. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, God's forever king. God gives Jesus all his authority as the obedient Israelite who suffered death for the sins of the world, but now lives and reigns as God's king. Jesus was handed over to death, betrayed by Judas. But now Jesus is the one with power and authority over death. Jesus the one who came into the world as Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus the one who promised his disciples, the church in Matthew 18, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with you. It's the same Jesus who is now the resurrected King. And as he sends them out, says to them in verse 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so the resurrected Jesus now commissions his disciples to be the start of the new church, a people formed to worship the one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, disciples called to live a radical life of holiness, obedience and love as described in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, followers of the risen Christ commissioned to make disciples of all nations, to serve their king, Jesus. But the question is, how are they to do it? How are they to make disciples of all nations? Well, we see it there in verse 19. It's three things. It's by going, it's by baptising, and it's by teaching. Going, baptising, and teaching. And the thing is, just as Jesus commissions his disciples to go into the world, it's to be a chain. They're to go into the world to make disciples who will be disciple makers. Uh, we are the result, if you like, at the end of that chain. But, but it's not an end, it's to continue. Uh, we too are called to be disciple makers. And so we too will do it by going by baptising and by teaching. And if you want to summarise those things, the way I think about it, it's, it's discipleship and mission. 
Discipleship and mission go together. For the 11 Jesus commissions are just the start of a radical movement promoting Jesus throughout the world. Discipleship and mission. They're at the very heart, aren't they, of God's plan for the world. To have followers who then go out and speak about Jesus. Uh, Discipleship and mission are at the heart of God's rescue plan through Jesus. Jesus himself came to make disciples. He came and died to save the whole world. His death was mission. And discipleship and mission are at the very heart of God forming the church, the people of God. Discipleship and mission are at the heart of God's plan for each of our lives. Jody and I lived at Eastwood for eight and a half years, all our Children were born there. Uh, we were comfortable and secure in our ministry in Sydney. Uh, we didn't want to leave Leafy Eastwood. I know it's not Kirribilli, but it was, it was really nice. Why did we? Why did we then? Why, why did we leave and why did we go to Darwin? I suppose the simple answer is, although that's complicated as well, is we felt God called us to go. But let me say, we, we didn't go to Darwin to rack up frequent flyer points. We didn't go there because it has lots of palm trees. I hate palm trees. It's hot there. It's expensive there. The crocodile's trying to eat you. It's not comfortable. Uh, nearly all the houses have big fences and big dogs. But that only gives a facade of security. Every year there's cyclones. Hopefully just not too big or too close to blow your house away. But for us, God's call was to go and make disciples. In many ways, what we do now in Darwin is no different from what I was doing in Eastwood. It's just in a different place. For eight and a half years in Eastwood, um, the aim there was to present every person in their community maturing Christ. That was St. Philip's aim as a church. And I know yours is uh, what? Love, Jesus. Oh, I can't remember. What are they? What are the three things? Love. Live like Jesus. Yeah. And look, don't those three things really just say discipleship and mission? Isn't that what they are at their heart? Just like at Eastwood, present every person in our community mature in Christ. That's just discipleship as well. But the question is, is that what we're actually doing? Is it, is it what we're doing individually? Is it what you are doing as a church? Are you making disciples? You know, are you doing those three things that, that are your sort of core values? But let me say, you don't need to leave Kirribilli to make disciples. But you do need to go. You don't need to leave Kirribilli, but you do need to go. You need to go into your local community. You might need to go into the local school. You might need to go to your neighbours, your local sports team, the social club. You might need to go to the pub. You might need to go to the doctor's surgery. Wherever those who don't know Jesus, you need to go. 
But can I say, it's, it's going with a purpose. It's going with a purpose to make disciples. I mean, you can go to your neighbours as much as you want and drink cups of coffee, but if there's never that purposeful sort of at the end making disciples, yes, you're going to build a relationship, but, you know, their eternal security is at stake here. For me, I pray for opportunities to speak of Jesus before I go to the blood bank every two weeks to give plasma. I mean, that's one of the ways for me in Darwin um, that I try to meet people who aren't Christians and to think about how I might be able to make disciples, speak about Jesus. Uh, My boy plays cricket, so I go to cricket training uh, twice a week that I might speak to some other fathers, speak to some of the kids, perhaps sometime have an opportunity to make disciples. But you see, we need to go. And it's not just about evangelism, let me say. It's not just about sort of doing a one-off gospel presentation. It's about making disciples. And so we need to think about how we're meeting one-to-one perhaps with someone to read the Bible and pray. Even with each other, how we're talking about our faith and our struggles. Maybe we need to discuss doctrine, theology. We need to teach and rebuke. We need to help each other in our daily walk together. We make disciples firstly by going. And secondly, by baptising in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I, I think it's sort of surprising that's there really. It's, it's not what you'd expect, is it? But just think about what baptism is for a moment. It's, it's a public sign of faith, isn't it? It's a, it's a public sign of repentance. Of, of turning and following your own way to turning and following Jesus. Um, candidates who people who are being baptised or confirmed in the Anglican Church, what do they stand up and say publicly? Does anyone know? I turn to Christ. That, that's what you say. You stand up and you say publicly, I turn to Christ. Now we know baptism is not how you are saved. Jesus never baptised anyone. But baptism is a recognition that someone has, well, that they've turned to follow Jesus, that they have been united to Christ by God's Holy Spirit. And the public confession in baptism, repentance and faith is the way that that we, the church, the people of God, recognise that a person belongs to Christ, that they've died to their old way of life, that they've stood up and said, no to my old way of life, yes to following Jesus. It's, It's a picture of the gospel at work in the world, of God transforming the lives of sinners from all nations through the saving work of Jesus. Now, I'm not sure what you do here, whether you have lots of baptisms where people talk about how they've been saved uh, publicly, uh, in whatever way that might be. I know in the Northern Territory, it's something we've lost in our city churches, unfortunately. We hardly see any baptisms or confirmations and we don't really talk about people's lives being changed. I think that's really sad. In our Aboriginal churches, it's exactly the opposite. It's quite exciting. You're hearing about baptism, confirmations all the time. Here is a witness to the local communities of God's work in the world through changed lives. Uh, One of the best stories I've heard, and and I've met this guy from an Aboriginal man called Vale. He he lives in this tiny island community of about 220 people. 
Um, the whole community is about the size of this church block. Like it's a little bit bigger, but it's about that size. It's tiny, right? 220 people, that's not many people at all. Every day he used to, he'd be drunk every day, and every day he used to go down the main street, which is, you know, 100 metres long or whatever, and he used to knock over every garbage bin. Just walk down the street and regular as clockwork every day. A guy called Alistair and a, a woman called Veronica uh, both got converted on this, on this little island and they decided to start a church. And uh, Vale came and he heard the good news about Jesus as a little church and it's transformed his life. Uh, he's now got a job, he's a valued working member of the community. Uh, he no longer, of course, just knocks over garbage bins every afternoon. And he's a key figure in the church. Oh. Uh, Val was baptised. Uh, they have a... It's hard to describe. they got a, a platform, I suppose about this big, with just a sort of tin roof over the top. That's their church. And there's a cross on the side. Uh, it's a great little place. Uh, Val was baptised uh, down in the local ocean, and uh, they're an island, and, uh, and now the Christian, uh, the, the white business manager is not a Christian, he talks about Vale and tells other people about what the church has done for this guy. This guy's not a Christian. But the change made in Vale's life and that public confession that went along with it so that people knew it was all about Jesus... Uh, has not just transformed this guy's life, but has actually, people have heard about it um, all around the Northern Territory. Baptism is about that public confession of faith. And so we're to make disciples by going, by baptising and finally by teaching all Jesus commanded us. Up until now in Matthew's Gospel, who's been the teacher? Jesus, right? Jesus has done all the teaching. Uh, the disciples were made, if you like, through the teaching of Jesus. And new disciples are to be made now through these 11 going out teaching. And the teaching is none other, of course, than the apostles' testimony about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, about his life, about his dying, rising again. And note that the teaching here is not just head knowledge. But have a look at verse 20. It's teaching them what? To observe everything I have commanded you is what Jesus commands them. It's the Sermon on the Mount lived out. Jesus' death and resurrection can't be separated from the way he's taught us to live. We don't go, thank you Jesus for saving me and then just keep living like we used to live. When we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Saviour, that means we now live like He commanded us to live. What does that look like? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. It's a, it's a life of radical holiness. Uh, it's a, it's a, a radical life of loving others. Um, sacrificially, of, of putting yourself last, putting others first. Uh, we make disciples as we teach each other how to love as God loves us. You've just had in the last week 
something happening. I know you're doing there something every day. What was it? Taking love. There we go. Is, isn't that what it means to make disciples? We, God has loved us and so we show that love to others. Um, and I know there's, I did some of those things and then I was away. And, but praying, encouraging, giving gifts, um, there were a whole bunch of them. Uh, we forgive as God has forgiven us, don't we? And we, we pray that in the Lord's Prayer. You know, please forgive me, God, as I forgive others. And we repent, we expose sin in the church as we make disciples so that, that we might be able to live in unity and peace. Well, what's crucial here is that the heart of making disciples as we teach others to observe everything that Jesus commanded us must be, of course, God's Word. Because that's where we find out about Jesus' teaching. That's where we find out about who Jesus is, what He did. That's where we find out the testimony about Jesus, the implications of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And at the centre of everything I do as a youth minister, uh, it's what I call teaching the Bible in relationship. I know that's what you do here as well. And uh, the centre of my strategy, there's nothing exciting or secret, it's discipleship and mission. You know, I, I, I encourage and help and build people up in God's Word as we pray and think about how we can go and tell others. We grow in our own faith as we think about the world in which we live. Discipleship and mission. Making disciples by going, by baptising, by teaching to obey Jesus. But we can only do it as we teach the Bible. We need to keep being reminded it's only in God's Word that we find the words of Jesus, the words of eternal life. It's only in God's Word that we find out what it means to live in God's kingdom. It's only in God's Word that we find out what it means to love like God loves us. It's only God's Word, only in God's Word that we see Jesus' life amongst us, His death for us and His rising to new life to rule forever as God's King. It's only as we keep reading God's Word that we see the sin in our own lives and are reminded to turn back to Jesus. Every day, every day as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, is standing up and saying, I turn to Christ. That's, that's what we do every day. It's only in God's Word that we're reminded of God's Holy Spirit working within us to transform us. Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples. He commands us, he commissions us to make disciples by going, by baptising and by teaching. Jesus does that with all the authority of God himself. That first reading we had from Daniel 7, it's a, it's a great picture, it's, the, it's a picture of heaven. This human figure comes in and, and God gives him all his authority to rule over his kingdom forever. That, that's our Lord Jesus, the one who rules now. It's great for us to be reminded that he has all authority. We forget that sometimes in the world in which we live, but he's got all authority. And he commissions, he commands us, each one of us, to make disciples, to go testifying about all God has done in our lives, 
to baptize. Or, or if you like, as we make disciples, to get them to stand up and publicly declare, yes, I've turned to Christ. And we're commanded to teach. Teach disciples to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. For we trust and follow Jesus by living holy lives. Discipleship is a decision each day to say no to myself, say yes to Jesus. Now as I finish, you may have doubts about this. How can I do it? How can I make disciples? I'm not like you, I could never go to Darwin, I'm not like that guy at the start, I could never go to Burma and let my wife and kids die. How do do we do that? Well, that's where Jesus' words right at the end come in. I mentioned them before. Jesus says, remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus commands us to do this, but, you know, he doesn't say, off you go and, uh, you know, bye-bye and that's it, I'll never see you again. No, Jesus says, I'm with you always. I'm there. And so... We need, I think, to transform our thinking so that we're prepared to move from staying where it's comfortable and thinking about where we need to go. And and can I say, yes, I'm in Darwin, but I need to keep thinking about this all the time as well. Otherwise, I just sit in my office in my air conditioning and never go out to the world. Where can we go? Where, Where can we go intentionally thinking about how we might make disciples? And we need to stop working and trying so hard, let me say, particularly to people in Sydney, to live in a nicer location. Uh, This is true in my old church as well. I see people piling up all this debt just so they can live in a nicer place. Well, maybe we need to rethink that. Maybe God wants us to go somewhere else. We need to be asking, God, where can I best go to make disciples? Where can I best live? to show the love of Christ. What can I do? How can I model teaching others to obey everything that Jesus taught and commanded? Let me finish with Jesus' words to the eleven, but also to us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen.